0: Welcome to Home, Space, and Reason, a podcast about creating a home that thrives.
1: Hi there, I'm Christina Browning, your host. If you know your home could be so much more than it is, I discuss home functionality, aesthetics, and automation. I'm a realtor in Portland, Oregon, and a home functionality coach nationwide. I geek out on every subject imaginable regarding your home and yard, challenging you to think of your space differently to get the most out of every square foot. I pose questions for you to think through about your space and your reason. This podcast is all positive, offering you virtual fist bumps and celebrating every win. Remember, there's no such thing as perfect, but you can still aim for your best every day. Follow along with me on social media under the handle Space and Reason. In this episode number 61, let's discuss how a home can impact healing with special guest Rachel Weber, Digital Deputy Editor at Better Homes and Gardens. Episode 53 was my first story about a woman, her health, house, and healing. Jessica's health journey started when she was 18 years old, with mysterious symptoms that no one seemed to be able to put their finger on. Diagnoses seemed impossible. Currently, it's the most downloaded episode of the entire collection. And if you liked that, then you'll like this, because it too is a story about a woman, her health, house, and healing. I'm so glad you're here. Better Homes and Gardens magazine and the brand has been a staple to me throughout my life because it's just always been there. Through fads and new publications, it's reliable like an old friend that you can count on. It was created in 1922 by Edwin Meredith, who'd previously been the United States Secretary of Agriculture under Woodrow Wilson. The original name was actually fruit garden and home until 1924 when the name was changed with the august issue rachel weber is the digital deputy editor at better homes and gardens when she's not working she enjoys spending time with her two young boys leisurely running baking and volunteering she's someone who i am privileged enough to call my new friend We share a love for gardening, organizing, and documenting moments on Instagram. Many times we hear about people who discover they have breast cancer. But often, that conversation doesn't extend to how their home affected their recovery. I wanted to know what changes she made in her home and what surprised her that maybe she didn't expect. I mean, if anyone were to be prepared for making home decisions to aid in their recovery, Rachel seemed poised to nail that given she is immersed in the topic of house and home every day in her work. Rachel, if you would start us off with just helping us understand your background a bit, who you are and where you came from.
0: My dad was actually in the Air Force. I was born in the Philippines, but I grew up in North Dakota. So for 16 years, that's where I lived. I was either homeschooled or attended the small private school at my church. When I was a junior in high school, right before my junior year, We moved to the Minneapolis area and I graduated from a school where my class was about 750 students, whereas before I was either on my own as a homeschool student or K through 12 at my little school was 60 students. So it was a big change. And then I went to Iowa State, all four years of college for undergrad. And when I was a senior, I had an apprentice position at Meredith Corporation. So I have been working on the Better Homes and Gardens brand since 2006. It's been awesome and such a a wild ride. I've worked on magazines all about kitchens and baths. I worked on All Recipes magazine when it launched. Meredith used to have a marketing agency within it called Meredith Accelerated Marketing, and I did that for three years where I designed rooms for photo shoots and it was so fun. I have been on beachy.com for the last four years.
1: Outstanding. Um, curious what your every day is like at Better Homes and Gardens. What is your workday like?
0: We kick off our meetings at nine o'clock every day. So From 9 to about 9.15, we have stand-up. If we were in person, we would truly be standing up. Now we do a virtual stand-up and go through the day. What's on the list for the day? So I have all of my core editors. So my home, food, holidays, garden editor, my social editor. We all just touch base to kick off our day. So if we hear that there's a crazy sale going on or... Pantone's color of the year was just released. We, we can share those wins and um, make sure we're all on the same page as we tackle our day. I really truly spend the next three hours in lockdown editing mode. So I am publishing content that whole time. We publish about 20 to 30 pieces of content every day. So that's my time to just buckle down and focus. And then the rest of my day is oftentimes in meetings, whether that's a one-on-one with someone on my team, maybe we're meeting with the print team on a collaboration. I just got a, off of a call for a product presentation. So a company will send a product sample for us to review. They'll have a meeting and we'll get to experience it that way. So we're always looking for those new trends and trying to vet them for our readers. I love routines. I I love knowing what's coming. In the last four years, digital is just, it's always changing. If you're the type of person who really struggles with change, this is probably not the thing for you. At work, I I love that there's always something new to learn. There's always a new technology where there's a better way to do things. When I started, I never anticipated how... SEO is gonna be a part of my every day. It's exciting to have the opportunity to help someone love their every day. So we are showing her how to start seeds, to grow a beautiful garden, or we're showing her the best possible recipe for dinner tonight, or the easiest recipe, or how the heck do you use an air fryer? That sort of thing. We're answering all these questions for her. I love that. I'm wondering about your childhood then. What what was
1: the house that you grew up in like and and do you get inspiration from that?
0: We were we always lived in fixer-uppers. I always grew up with my mom making everything. When I was young, I didn't realize why it was because we didn't have any money, right? <laughs> That's why she did it. <laughs> but I just always loved how my mom made everyday moments really special. And I never really knew I didn't have a lot because she made everyday meaningful. One of my favorite things that she ever did, it was my, gosh, I think it was my 10th birthday. I was allowed to have like three friends over. And what she had done in advance is prepped all the stuff. So we made strawberry rhubarb jam kind of, I think she had printed them off or written them out somehow, and every girl got to draw a step in the process. We all participated and helped make the strawberry rhubarb jam, and the girls got to take some home as their favor. It's something so simple. It's making jam. It's not a bounce house. It's not a circus clown or princess party or something like that. It's so simple. But it was the most fun party I have probably ever had. And even to this day, the the girls that came, I'm still friends with. And we'll talk about that sometimes. That, oh, remember when you made jam?
1: <laughs> Look, when you've got adult friends still remembering that birthday party, that is a major success. And honestly, that's a lot of work, really. I mean, a different
0: way. My mom is so wonderful. And Telling my mom I had cancer was probably the hardest thing I've had to do. Oh, and I had to do it over FaceTime. I called my mom and my sister and was just chit-chatting and said, oh, by the way, I have cancer. And they were both like shocked. I'm the healthy one in the family. I am, you know, this isn't supposed to happen to me. My mom is just always that that support when I need it. And I know this has been incredibly difficult on her. She comes to my house almost every day to check on me and see how I am. She tells my son, you are kind, you are smart, and you are important. I know it's from the help. (laughs) But she really believes that she really believes that about me. She believes it about my boys. And I think having that constant reminder from her, someone I just Look up to so much and care about so much. I think that's one of the things that really kept me going is that support and knowing that i I am loved. I am important. I'm smart. I trusted my gut, right? Like <laughs> I didn't have to. I didn't want to. I really didn't want it to be true. And it was. And I had to deal with it.
1: Tell me about how 2020 started for you.
0: I had been so excited. Last year, I thought I was going to run all these races, a 20K, a half marathon, a 10K. It was going to be my year. Last February was such a fun February. We took our boys on their, on the first vacation. We went on airplanes. We went to Disney and the beach, and it was so fun. A week after that, I had my annual exam with my OB, who has been with me since I was 18. I mean, she's, she's been my, my go-to. About a week, a week and a half later, I was putting on a sports bra and I felt something. And at that very moment, when I was, when I first felt it, I just knew I I had this sinking feeling that this is not right. This has never been there before. This wasn't there last week. This wasn't supposed to be there. Of course, you know, you Google everything, right? So I'm, what does breast cancer feel like? <laughs> I Googled breast cancer doctors in Des Moines. And then I had this moment of, you know what? I'm not going to solve this problem tonight. This is not going to get resolved. And I put my phone away. And the next day I actually went to one of my best friends. She is a nurse. And I asked her to give me a breast exam. She agreed that something was there that shouldn't be. I didn't have a primary care physician. I have only ever gone to the baby doctor. (laughs) So she told me who to schedule an appointment with. So I did. And at that appointment, they said something wasn't right. So March 5th was the day I discovered the lump. March 25th is when I had a mammogram. And the day after that, they called me and told me I had cancer. When I... First found out I had cancer. I found out right before a weekend. And that weekend, I told other people I was Marie Kondoing, but really I was trying to think ahead. And I didn't know what my prognosis was. I just knew I had cancer, and I knew I didn't want someone having to clean out my stuff. So, we had recently done a story on Swedish death cleaning. On (laughs) bhd.com, and it's this idea of not leaving behind a mess for someone else and really being aware of the things that you bring into your home. You know, I'm not going to tell anyone I'm Swedish death cleaning because then they'll like tie it together, right? So I just said I was Marie Kondoing. I was going to like fold things and get rid of things, and right, but like in my head, I'm Swedish death cleaning. I got rid of a ton of stuff that weekend because I just, I I didn't want anyone else to have to do that. I sent my best friends a picture of me and my boys. I said, this is, this is what I want. You know, if anything happens, I want you to have this photo. And I had recently I think that week I had printed it off and put it in this sweet little pottery barn frame that has a heart mat and I have it on my bedside table and I wanted my room and my home to just be tidy and not because I wanted it to be photo shoot ready, which is always, you know, on my mind. I really wanted it to be clean and tidy Because I wanted to enjoy the time I had without feeling stressed, without feeling that sense of, oh gosh, I just need to pick up that one thing over there and then I can relax. I didn't want to feel overwhelmed with all the things. I wanted to clear as much out as I could so I could focus on the things that mattered. So I simplified my bedding. I have only white bedding now. I... I took a lot of the things off the walls. I just, I want to feel calm. And for me, that meant taking some things out. And then of course, coronavirus. I, you know, I almost didn't even go into that first doctor appointment because the coronavirus was a thing. And in Iowa, we weren't on lockdown yet. We were working from home, but it was just kind of Like the nice thing to do, I felt like at that point, I was scared. I was scared to go to the doctor. You know, I knew something was wrong, but I thought maybe if I ignore it, it'll go away. Right. Maybe it was a fluke. I'm so grateful that I kept my doctor appointment, that I trusted myself and knew myself enough to know that wasn't supposed to be there. Yeah. So within, what is it? Three, four weeks, something like that. My world was just totally different. So I have always been such a weenie. Even when I do like a finger prick for wellness checks or things like that, I get a little lightheaded. So my one really good friend is a nurse here in town. My other best friend from high school is a doctor at the Mayo Clinic. And it's so funny when they talk about their everyday, it will oftentimes make me a little lightheaded because it just that's not, that's not what I do every day, right? And even when I had both of my boys, that was really the first time I had ever even been in a hospital. I've been healthy. I didn't need needles. When I've ever had any blood work done, I always lay down because I get lightheaded. And it's probably something more in my head than anything else, you know. Uh, (laughs) So I had my first surgery in April and I had never had a surgery before that. It was a lot. And then less than a week after that is when I started chemo. So I had surgery to put a port in my chest and that makes it so much easier for them to do chemo. I remember that first chemo, I was terrified. Throughout all of my cancer appointments, there were only a handful where I could even have a guest. I had to do all of it on my own. No one could hold my hand. I couldn't have a party or invite people to chemo with me. It was really lonely. That first chemo appointment, I was terrified. I didn't know what to expect. I was so scared going into that appointment. I my my friend who was the nurse, she took me and dropped me off. And I had to walk in and walk through the doors. And as I was sitting there looking around, I was 35 and all of the other people in the waiting room could have been my grandparents. And I just I did not feel like I belonged. And that was even more sad. I felt like that. Why me? Why is this happening to me? I'm healthy. I, I'm gluten free. I've been gluten free for 10 years. So I clearly shouldn't have cancer. It doesn't run in my family, this, this type of cancer. And it felt very scary. That first appointment I cried through almost I think I cried for two hours straight, just in the waiting room. Tears were just in my eyes. And then once I got called back for them to put the first needle in into my ports, they actually had to calm me down in order to get the needle in. I was just so scared. Then when I went back to see the doctor before chemo even started, I was crying there. I was just so scared. And I'm not really a crier. It was just a really challenging moment that I couldn't have anyone there with me. I felt so alone. I didn't know what was going to happen. I had just had my, all my hair cut off. I used to have super long, wonderful hair and losing my hair was so difficult. You know, I tried to have a really positive attitude about losing my hair, but it really sucked. (laughs) It's really how I identified myself. I had a lot of talks with my therapist about this, hearing those words, you have cancer. I'll never forget. I'll never forget where I was. You know, it's kind of like when, um, like nine 11 happened, right? You remember exactly where you were. It's a trauma. I vividly remember that phone call. I had to do a lot of genetic testing in order to determine what kind of chemo to get what kind? What was my surgery plan going to look like? The thing with breast cancer is I really don't believe anyone has the exact same kind. There's so many variables. Every day I feel like I would learn a new thing about my case and that would sort of change the trajectory of my plan a little bit. One of the great things about the pandemic is I didn't see anyone, so I didn't have to tell anyone I had cancer. I worked from home. I couldn't see anyone. So while it was incredibly lonely, it was also really nice and allowed me the time to process it. A lot of times at work I'll say, you know, let's let's over plan a little bit so we have the flexibility to pivot if we need. And I have a private carrying bridge account just for my really close family and friends. And I have said the word pivot on that account so many times because that is truly what happens. I would go to one doctor appointment and have a plan and the next day I'd go see another doctor and they would say, all right, well, we reviewed your case and this is the best course of action. And I would have my friend who's a doctor review my case and she would talk to her friends and they would all come to the same conclusion. So it, it was nice to have these informed friends who can sort of help guide that conversation but it it really was every day was all right what's on the agenda for today? how how are things gonna change and just rolling with it?
1: Tell me about Project Joy.
0: So Project Joy started as a push for content during the pandemic for better homes and gardens we were really trying to inspire that sense of happiness that we were all looking for at that time. And Project Joy is really all of us as editors doing things around our house, around our home, our yard, that bring us joy. It's kind of funny that you bring that up because the appointment that I had to learn my stage of cancer I shot a Project Joy video right before that, and it was really to help me kind of calm down and not stress out about the appointment. I knew it wasn't going to be great news. I did a video on how to propagate uh, spider plants, how to plant the little pups. I had this crazy huge spider plant, and I had been propagating the little the little pups for a couple of weeks before the video, and. It it really was about creating something really special. One of the things I talked about in the video was giving them away, and maybe it'll bring a smile to someone's face. I did that. I gave them away to friends, coworkers, my boss. I dropped some off at her house. I even recently gave them away as uh, Valentine's teacher gifts for my little boys, and. It's it's kind of funny that, that the plant just keeps growing and keeps giving these little pups and I keep giving them away, hoping that that makes someone else a little happy too.
1: It always feels good when you can give something away, especially something you've grown. I love planting indoors or out. Do you have a big yard?
0: I do. I have almost an acre.
1: I feel like that would be really convenient given what you do for a living.
0: It does. It's actually a great backdrop for... If I need to do a video shoot or a photo shoot, I just have them come to my house and it's really convenient. <laughs> I
1: feel like sometimes just getting my hands in the dirt is therapeutic, even if it's just weeding. I think there's something very powerful about connecting with the earth and caring for something.
0: I think before I had cancer, I really enjoyed it, but now it means so much more to me just really appreciating every day. I love my bulbs. I love when they're starting to grow. And actually, one of the things I really love about them this year, my five-year-old came in and said, mom, mom, come outside and look at your flowers. And I was a little skeptical, but he was right. They were. And it was so exciting to see these teeny tiny little tufts of green coming out of the ground. The fact that my five-year-old saw those and was so excited brought me joy. I think that's so special that he shares that appreciation with me. I actually I have plants in my boys' bedrooms too. They each have their own, they have their own tiny little plant. We take care of it together. We water it. We let it dry out and touch the soil. We listen to the soil. When it's drinking water, it kind of bubbles a little bit. I involve them in every process of planting. And I think that's so important. I love giving them little jobs and allowing them to be part of that process, similar to what my mom did.
1: Tell me about the most favorite part of your house right now, the one that you currently live in.
0: Honestly, I feel like My favorite thing is my boys' rooms. I think what I love the most about them is they're so calm. They're so relaxing. They're simple. And there's not a lot of clutter. It just feels like a bedroom where you can relax. And I think that's something that I really want to instill in them is bedrooms are for sleeping. And then we go to the living room or outside, and that's where we play. I have a luxury of that. You know, I have coworkers who live in New York, and that's not a thing there. I'm so grateful that we have the opportunity here to have the space. I have a lot of motion sensor lights in my house. I'm a huge fan of them. Probably 10 years ago, I remember Lutron came and did a product presentation at work and they were like, these are the wave of the future. And I was like, mm, are they? they? They are. They're wonderful. They are life-changing. They're amazing. I have them in my bathrooms, which especially having little kids who leave lights on all the time, it's great because when there's no motion, there's no light. I have them in the laundry room, the pantry, closets, anywhere that, you know, they actually probably recommend I should have them. I do because it's that automated. I don't have to think about it. That is so great. GE just came out with a new light bulb that charges by using it. You actually are charging a light bulb that can function as a flashlight. Well, let's
1: talk about preparation of your home for healing and maybe some of the things that surprised you.
0: I think Um, one of the things I didn't realize would be part of the recovery at the onset of cancer was the surgery recovery. I prepped myself mentally for chemo and I needed to have mints and I needed to buy these freezing gloves and socks when I did this uh, one type of chemo. And the other type of chemo, I had to chew ice during. And I sort of had a really nice routine with that. But what I didn't think about during that period was the recovery from surgeries. I had a double mastectomy. With that, I couldn't lift my arms. I couldn't wash my hair. I had to get step stools and I put them all over my house. I couldn't lift up my kids. I couldn't shower without help. I had to get one of those shower heads that has a detachable handle. The idea of universal design was not something that was on my radar during chemo. It's been on my radar for years because of work and what I do, but I didn't consider the recovery time from surgery would be a time where I would would really need to think about those types of things. I would have to put things down lower because I can't reach it. I can't lift. I, I literally couldn't extend my arm. So during my surgery, they removed five lymph nodes, which caused cording and I couldn't straighten my arm. I, I called it a Barbie arm. I couldn't, you know, I, it was like at a slight angle. I had to do occupational therapy for a number of weeks in order to regain full function. Again, I never knew that was going to be part of the recovery process. I had to move all of my robes to a lower spot. I had to make sure the clothes I wore were loose enough that I could pull them over my whole body and not lift my arms above my head. So restructuring where I placed things in my home was a big part of that prep for surgery. So a new shower head, putting things lower, getting step stools. I ordered, I think like four stools on Amazon one day. I was like, oh, I got to have these. A friend gave me one of those grabbers. And I remember thinking, oh, isn't this like for old people? I use that thing all the time. I couldn't reach my laundry. I have a, a top load washer and I had, I used that all the time to grab socks. I couldn't reach them. I had to get a new laundry drying rack that wasn't up high. You know, it's things like that that you don't think about when you're in chemo mode and then now you're in surgery recovery mode and the range of motion is so different from my normal. And I even rented a lift chair and a hospital side table. And I had those because I couldn't lay in my bed. I carved some space out in my room and I had my lift chair there and I slept in it for probably two months. I couldn't even carry a gallon of milk. I had to buy half gallons of milk because I had a five pound weight restriction and a full gallon of milk is eight pounds. Who knew? Even my purse. Oh my gosh. I weighed my purse at the doctor's office. I was like, oh, I mm, need to lighten the load a little bit here. But it's things like that, that I never considered. I had to have someone help me make my bed. I had to rely on people for things that I could always do with ease. And that was probably one of the things that took the most adjustment was asking for help. I'm so used to having a plan and I can do it. I've planned for the worst, but I'm going to expect the best. And I, I had to ask for so much help. I had a meal train, I think three times a week, all throughout chemo, all throughout surgery recovery time. And it wasn't something I really even thought about a friend said, Hey, we should do this. And I was like, Oh no, 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 we'll be fine. We don't need meal trains. (laughs) And she was like, Rachel, you are going through chemo treatment for cancer. You are going through surgery. You're doing all of these things. Let us help you. Let us provide dinner for you. And I was like, all right, you know what? I need to say, yes, I need to accept this help. They want to do it. And I think that's motivation enough for me to step aside and accept the help. I've learned a lot about myself, a lot about others, friends and family who I was so hesitant to ask for help were there to love and support me and lift me up. I I feel so grateful for that. I am so glad. My boys were two and four at the time I was diagnosed and this was no big deal to them. My oldest helped My best friend cut my hair. He got to cut my first ponytail. And I really wanted to involve them in the process so they weren't scared. I didn't know what I would look like. And I didn't want them to be afraid. I walked them through the whole process. Mommy has cancer. Mommy is going to have medicine and it's called chemo. I have this bump on my chest. That's where they give me the medicine. Just really trying to break it down into terms they would understand. And it was no big deal when I didn't have hair. It was no big deal when I have super short hair like I do now. My boys think it's totally normal. This is what mommy's hair looks like. Isn't that funny? It is what it is to them. And they they don't see it as being weird or different. I'm so grateful that they are so innocent and accept things. This is just life. And and, and we're we're getting through it. I think the one thing I always wanted them... To remember is how they felt during this time. So I didn't want them to feel scared. I I didn't want them to be sad about mommy quote unquote being sick. I wanted them to know this was a diagnosis I had, this was a, a problem mommy had. I went to doctors and I fixed it. And I think that kind of goes back to what I do at work. We have a problem. We talk to the tech team. We talk to the product. We talk to whoever it is we need. I really think teaching them these life skills and not allowing it to become overwhelming. Looking for ways to make this into a learning experience for them is so important.
1: Let's talk about your home and the use of color.
0: Yeah, one of the first things I did when we moved into this house, it had only had one other owner who lived here for a year, and But everything in the house was so dark. It had dark espresso cabinets, dark floors, dark gray walls. And I just felt like I needed to lighten and brighten it up. And my mom says I'm so boring with my colors, but I love it. I love being really boring with my colors because I feel like it allows us as people and individuals to add color to the space. So I, I love that blank slate. The people I bring into my home is really where the color is added, or the plants. I love all my plants I have in my home. I try to only accept plants that could take a beating. So all of my house plants are house plants you can't kill. I know there's like psychology and how like that green is just a happy color, but it's really the only color I have in my house, green and blue. So it's interesting how those are the two colors I bring in and they do make me so happy. So allowing everything else to be really calm and light, and then the blues and the greens to really bring life into the space is is so important to me. Simplifying has really been something that I've really embraced over the last year, just simplifying my expectations, simplifying the things on my walls, the things in my home, just really paring down and focusing on what's important and spending time and investing in that. I am officially cancer-free, so I had a complete response to chemo. I did not require radiation. I had 20 weeks of chemo, and I wrapped up on September 9th, which was my mom's birthday, and it was such a special day to celebrate. Being done with chemo and having that behind me, a month later, I had a double mastectomy, and then I had tissue expanders for about two months and then in February had my final surgery. So it's kind of crazy to think about March 5th was the first day I felt a lump and February 1st was my last surgery. So almost a full year According to
1: breastcancer.org, as of January 2021, there are more than 3.8 million women with a history of breast cancer in the United States. This includes women currently being treated and women who have finished treatment. Breast cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer among American women. Breast cancer has become the most common cancer globally as of 2021, accounting for 12% of all new annual cancer cases worldwide, according to the World Health Organization. About 85% of breast cancers occur in women who have no family history of breast cancer. These occur due to genetic mutations that happen as a result of aging, rather than inherited mutations. The takeaway here, of course, is self-exams are so important in addition to annual mammograms with your doctor.
0: I have days that are really hard. One of the things my therapist and I had talked about was I have the opportunity to live. This is my gift. I I have been given this life. I have been given these amazing doctors and providers I just, I have such a high regard for all of the people on my care team. I just feel they are amazing. And I'm so lucky to have had them. I choose every day to live. I choose to do the best thing, make the right choice today. I I didn't have to do chemo. I didn't have to have a double mastectomy. I didn't have to go in for that doctor appointment. I chose to, I'm really glad I did that
1: if this is the first episode you've listened to welcome new friends this is an intellectual uplifting podcast about home functionality design automation and organization with a bit of history and psychology it's kid friendly if you've got little ones within earshot and it's all positive i recommend starting at episode one there's so much good and positivity to be had all about your home space and reason are there things about your bathroom that make you crazy listen to episode 22 and geek out with me on all things bathroom related pet peeves potential remodels staging a bathroom when selling and new technology available for bathrooms If you happen to know someone in the market to buy or sell in the greater metro Portland, Oregon area, kindly send them my way. The finest compliment I could receive is the confidence of your referral. Plants can make a massive difference in the ambiance of your interior, cultivating relaxation and peace. They contribute both positively to our mental health and our physical health. Whether you already like plants, you want plants, and have never had success, or you never gave house plants a thought, episode 17 is for you. As always, you can find links in the podcast notes. From the story on Swedish death cleaning to the Project Joy Hub page, connect with better homes and gardens in the podcast notes. Thanks for sitting in on this conversation about creating a home that thrives. I'll meet you back here for the next episode.